The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a drive to deep right, away back, goal! UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the longest-running Internet radio program in America, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, a comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the sixth consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress through the 2016 season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show for another week. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com. And tonight is a big night because... The two teams that we follow on this show, the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds, are playing head-to-head tonight at Progressive Field in Major League Baseball's excellent endeavor of having two teams that are five and a half hours apart and the Masters of the State of Ohio play on a weeknight so that nobody can go to the game from the opposing cities. Mark, let's go down south and talk to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, it seems to happen every single year that these two teams play, and Major League Baseball just doesn't seem to understand that they're just not a hop, skip, and a jump away from each other. You know, I think the the, the romance, at least my romance, with interleague tr- uh, playing has, has ended. In fact, it ended four or five years ago. I don't know why Major League Baseball continues this now antiquated approach to building interest. <clears throat> it makes no sense to me when you have such great rivalries within your own league or your own division. I mean, after they have the Reds play the Cubs or the Pirates or, you know, each of those teams in their division one more time and not play the Indians four times. It, I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I mean, the Cubs would be a much bigger draw for the Reds than the Indians. Who cares about the Indians? If you're, you know, if you're a National League fan and, and you could say the same thing about why would Indian fans care about the Reds. This this idea of some great rivalry between these two cities is overstated at best. Oh, I, I definitely agree with you on that. And on top of that, they put it into a... If it is a rivalry, then, like Major League Baseball is saying, then why do you put it on a weeknight? Boy, I'll tell you what, you don't see the New York Yankees and the New York Mets playing on a weeknight. That's always on the weekend. Matter of fact, how often do you even see, Mark... The Yankees and the Red Sox playing on a weeknight. Not very often. You don't. And, and how many Monday, Sunday night baseball games are Yankees and Red Sox? You go back the last three years, I would make you a bet that there are more Yankee-Red Sox games on weekend baseball nationally than any other two teams playing. Absolutely. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And tonight, well, the Indians have gotten two touchdowns and two extra points to the Reds' two field goals. The Indians are leading 14-6 to right now over the Cincinnati Reds. Mark, I want to get more in-depth into this game, but I'm going to start off the show a little differently tonight. It kind of piggybacks upon some of the things that you've been saying over the last couple of weeks. Maybe it sounds like I don't agree with you. I'm still trying to get my mind wrapped around uh, your idea about pitching guys two, three, four innings. But tonight, Mark, I did a baseball game this afternoon between the Waynedale Golden Bears and the Chippewa Chips. Two evenly matched up teams, Mark. Waynedale was 20 and 4 coming into this one, 12 and 2 in the league. Chippewa was 19 and 4, 12 and 2 in the league. They've split both games this year. Today's game went 11 innings, and Waynedale finally endured the game, Mark. 9-5, to five. but the reason I wanted to bring it up, Marcus Schleybaugh, who was our Lems Pizza star of the game, was the winning pitcher in the game. Mark, he threw 10 innings today, 152 pitches. Now, in talking with the coach after the game, and this is what I wanted to bring up to you. You know, that sounds like a lot of pitches, and I agree. I'm not going to argue with you. That is a lot of pitches. But, you know, when you look at it and you break it down, that's only 15 pitches an inning. Dave, l- let me net it out. I-, I don't want to belabor this. I think I can state my position rather quickly. That coach ought to be fired. And if I was the the, the father of that pitcher, 
I would raise holy hell with that organization, with that manager, with that coach, with that team, having my son out there throwing 150 pitch, pitches at, what, 17 or 18 years old? That's absurd. You're right. It's absurd. You're right. It, I mean, that when I, when I talked to the manager afterwards, and w- immediately when he said that, I thought, I'm going to bring this up to Mark tonight on the show. 152 pitches he threw during the game in 10 innings. Of course, you know, we talked about this also, Mark, that the state of Ohio is going to go away from their innings pitched rules, which are 10 innings is all you can pitch in a 72-hour period. They're going to go to the total pitch count. Now, how they're going to go to the pitch count, how they're going to levy jurisdiction over it, who's going to count the pitches, who's going to do what, they haven't come up with that as of yet. Well, first of all, the, but, the official scorer should count the pitches, but you always have somebody with a book on both teams, and it's real easy to mark you know, crosshatches of pitches thrown by anybody. So I think that's a non-issue. But these idiotic high school managers who think that you know they're they're prepping for their uh, their shot at Ohio State's head coaching job, they go out there and ruin these kids' arms over a high school baseball game that nobody's going to remember in a week. And it really irritates me when I hear that. And honest to God, I wish we could get that coach on the air because I'd like to ask him, what are you doing? Why are you taking a chance on this kid's arm over a stupid high school game? And it, it irritates me when I hear that kind of thing because it's so disrespectful of the kids. And, I mean, <laughs> I could go on, but I think you get my point as to why I think this is an abomination for, for high school pitchers to be throwing 150 pitches. It makes no sense. There's no justification for it. And, again, I would fire that guy. Even if it was a tournament game? I don't care what game it is. It's high school. <laughs> and it's not even quad A high school. What is it? I don't know what the, the rating is. It's I'm Division not, three. D- Division three. I'm not saying that's bad, but how many major league players come out of Division three high school? Not a lot. Not many. And, you know, what you're doing is basically telling this kid and his family, you know, I really don't care about what happens to your son's arm. Uh, because I need to win another game for my resume. This is the this is the coach talking, and the administration should not put up with that stuff. And that coach, again, I think ought to be fired. That's one of the reasons that I brought it up for you tonight, Mark. I wanted to lay it out there on a tee to see if you would hit it out, and you have done it. So, uh, just a just a shameless promo here tonight. We'll be doing the. Waynedale game coming up tomorrow as they will be playing the winner of the Ritman Manchester game. That'll be coming up at five here on UltimateSportsTalk.com. Let's move on into what we normally talk about here, Mark, and that's the Reds and the Indians. And tonight, even though the Indians are up fourteen to six over the Reds, I want to get your opinion of what the Indians did tonight with their starting pitcher, Cody Anderson. I'm of the opinion that he doesn't need to be up on the major league team, that he's not a major league pitcher. You saw him pitch the first four innings of this game, four four and a third innings of this game. He fell down almost immediately, four to nothing. He's got the home run bugaboo. Tell me what you thought about his outing tonight. Well, I think he's a, a number five starter at best, and he may be a long relief guy as opposed to being a number five starter, but I could tell you, if he is your number four or five starter, your hope for a division this year, I, I think, is a false one. I, I don't think you can can win that division with that kind of performance out of your number four or five guy. I, I agree with you. Uh, this is the, the gentleman, the pitcher, that they brought up from Columbus and sent Tyler Naquin down a week ago. And, of course, you know how I feel about Tyler Naquin. Sent him down to the minor leagues. <laughs> to bring him up to pitch. He has now pitched three times since he has come back up to the Indians in over a week and a half, Mark, and he's 0-3. Now, except for tonight, which he will not get the win because he didn't go five innings, but he left the game with the lead, couldn't get out of the fifth inning. 
Mark, this is a guy that they've got other pitchers down in the minor leagues that they could bring up. Tom House is one that they could bring up and, and throw him. He's got major league experience. I don't know why they have to continue to bother with Cody Anderson. And that's the one thing that continues to boggle my mind, Mark, about the management of the Cleveland Indians is that when Terry Francona gets stuck on a guy like Cody Anderson, they give him until the 8th of September of 2020 to prove himself. And when you've got a guy who's proven himself over the beginning of the year in a guy like Tyler Naquin, they don't give him the opportunity, the same opportunity that they give Cody Anderson, who just happens to be a favorite to Terry Francona. That's what drives me nuts about the management of this Cleveland Indian squad. And I I agree with you. If Cody Anderson's going to be your number five starter, you've got major problems with your starting rotation. You know, organizations... I'll use Cleveland as an example. Not only you, but other people have looked at that roster and said, with that pitching staff, this team really is a contender to win the division. Now, I don't think they're, they're, they could go beyond winning the division because they don't have that good pitching. But this is when the organization has to step up and, and try and win. And that's what Kansas City did last year when, when, they, when they traded for Johnny Cueto. They wanted to win the World Series. You've got to make a corporate decision that, okay, we've, we've gone through all the growth. We've paid our dues. Now is the time. And unfortunately, with the Reds and the Indians, at least what I haven't seen over the last several years, those organizations aren't ready to take that next step. Both the Reds and the Indians two or three years ago had a chance to win the World Series, and they didn't. They didn't do what Kansas City did, arguably the same market size, the same payroll, and they just didn't do it. So you got to tip your hat to Kansas City. Well, come back and haunt them in three or four years. Who, who knows? Who cares? They won a World Series. And the Indians are that kind of team. We talk about this guy being your fourth or fifth starter. If he is, you're not going to win. So what should they do? Well, my feeling was, and I brought it up last week, Tim Lincecum was standing on a street corner giving auditions to every team in the major leagues, and tonight I learned that he's going to sign on with the the Los Angeles Angels. Now, the Angels are a team that, good or bad, Mark, the, the moves that they have made over the last four or five years, we can debate. But the thing that you cannot debate about the Angels is they are going out and trying to win. They go out and they spend the money to bring in the players to try to win. Has it been that successful? Not really. But the Indians, on the other hand, I advocated the fact that they ought to bring in Lincecum just simply because, hey, he could be that number five starter or he could be a guy out of your bullpen. Both. That's what he's suited for. And the Indians just decided, no, we don't need this guy. We've got a guy good enough in Cody Anderson We've got a guy in Tyler Naquin who's up to the plate. Mark, look at his batting average. 328 this year, playing on in a part-time basis, and they continually want to send him up and send him down because he's got a bad first step. Have you seen Rajay Davis play center field tonight? No. I mean, I don't care how many steps that guy's got. He can't catch a fly ball. But I saw him run the bases tonight. He's still got some wheels. He's got wheels. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll give him that. Problem is he he can get underneath the, the baseball in the outfield, but I don't think he's ever going to catch it. Did you see the play that he made on Saturday? No. ESPN put it on their blooper reel. He was playing left field, and he, he went back, spun out, fell flat on his face, and the ball dropped to the right of him. The guy cannot play the outfield. He is a DH at best. He can't play the outfield, and even as a DH, you, you can do better. With him Now, yeah, he's going to come up with some big plays, but when, when you watch him mark day after day after day, you can see why the Tigers didn't play him, even though they needed some outfield help in years past. And then they went out and got J.D. Martinez from Houston, and look what he's done for that team. Well, the Indians have a chance still to, to make some moves this year to put them over the top. But uh, it is frustrating when you have a team like Cleveland that – really has the kind of roster that could be a winner. And, uh, you know, I, c I can understand the frustration of the Indians fans because Reds fans suffered through that back in 2010, 11, 12, 13. Uh, that team, the Reds team, had enough talent to, to really compete. 
and management simply would not put them over the top with an appropriate kind of free agent signing or trade. They just refused to do it. And the Indians have been in that situation before too, Mark, and, and I understand what you're saying. I get it. You know, I watched Jeff Lamb tonight for the Reds, and I know he's one of the high-ranking prospects that you've got on your team. And quite honestly, Mark, I've seen a couple of other pitchers for the Reds that I thought <clears throat> were a lot better suited to be in the rotation than Jeff Lamb was tonight. Well, yeah, it, it's John Lamb, but you're right. And <clears throat> he was the he's the third piece of that pie. Uh, the other, th- you know, Cody Reed and uh, who's the other left hand? Finnegan. Yeah. Uh, those guys are really the the, the, the the top drawer prospects they got back from Kansas City. But John Lamb was hurt last week, and I don't know if that hurt him tonight, but his breaking breaking ball had nothing tonight, no snap on it at all, and he was just laying the ball over the middle of the plate. I mean, that, that looked like a college kid pitching to me. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'll tell you the kid that's really, and he's not really a kid because he's almost 30 years old, Dan Straley. You know, I'll tell you what, he has actually been a find for the Reds this year. He really has, and he knows how to pitch. You know, his fastball barely gets over 91. He's hit 92 a couple times, but it's got a lot of movement. He's got good control, and he's the kind of innings eater that the Reds needed this year. And, you know, I was looking at the Reds roster. They've got a lot of young arms down in um, the minor leagues. They're still two years away, I think. What what scares me about the Reds is – that they really don't have any position players to bring up. Uh, they, they don't have that superstar that, you know, that you, you can look forward to that's, hey boy, in two years, we're going to have a guy coming here, a five tool player is going to hit, uh, 320 his first year, hit 15 home runs and be a stud. <clears throat> they don't have that. And what is going to be just vitally important to this organization coming up this year is the draft coming up in June. And the Reds are going to get a very high pick, number two pick, and then a number 31 pick, I think. And then they have a a top second round pick as well. So that could change the fortunes of this team. They're clearly going to finish near the bottom of Major League Baseball records this year, which means they're going to get another top draft next year. But if they strike out on those two drafts, uh, you could have a situation like the Pittsburgh Pirates down themselves in in the late 90s and early 2000s where they went, what, 21 years before reaching the playoffs? That could be the Reds. Mark, I can't quote the year, but I know Mo Egger was talking with Dick Williams, the Reds GM, last week about this upcoming draft and all the picks that the Reds have. And Dick Williams went back to discuss, I believe it was the 2007 or 2008 draft when the Reds uh, got Todd Frazier, and I believe they also got Zach Cozart and Devin Mezzarocco in that draft. Now, if they can target three players out of this draft that contribute, forget the injuries to Mezzarocco, but can contribute to the team like those three have, then I think they're doing pretty well. I think that's what that's the best that you can expect out of a draft. Yeah, I, I guess you're right. And, and yet the Reds haven't had a top pick. Those guys are, to me, serviceable, serviceable major league players. But I can't say any one of the three is a star. They're, I mean, they're, 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 I would say on a scale of one to ten, those probably are sixes. Maybe sevens at the top, maybe with Todd Frazier. But, you know, Zach Cozart is a lifetime 240 hitter. Devin Mezzarocco's only had one good year in the major leagues. He's hurt all the time. So my point is, if, if they make a mistake now with these next two years of drafts, uh, this team, the organization, could be on hard times for a long, long time. And I don't know what the answer is. The draft is always a dice roll. But the organization just doesn't have, you know. Mark, what, is, what does this team do with Devin Mazzarocco? He's out again, torn labrum, head surgery. He's out for the year. They're Second ne- straight year he's going to be out for the season. What do they do with this guy? I don't know. Can you hear me, Dave? Yes, now we okay. can. Okay. 
Uh, but, but Winker has less press than Jay Bruce got. I mean, Jay Bruce was going to be the guy. He, he was going to be the next superstar in baseball. And look what's happened to him. So it takes more than the amateur draft to fill out your organization. You've got to do it with trades, signing the right players, letting the other players go, smart trades, all those things. And right now, the, the cupboard is bare. And I wish, I mean, nobody is more optimistic about the Reds every year than I am. I, I don't see where this is fixable in the next three or four years. I, I hope somebody would tell me I'm wrong and point out, well, you've overlooked this, this, and this. And, yeah, we've got some good arms coming up. But Stevenson has been the, the next great thing for three years, and he's still in the minor leagues. <laughs> I mean, how, how long do you wait for these kids? So if you draft Robert Stevenson you know, next month, it's going to be another four or five years before you're going to see him in the big leagues. That's and, and maybe longer if they continue to play that, well, next year because we want to keep him for another year. Well, that's what happens when you have an organization like the Reds where they have they have completely mismanaged the talent they had, completely mismanaged it. When, when you look at, look, could you handle a Roldis Chapman any worse? Is it possible that you had the greatest arm maybe in baseball history? And you put him in the bullpen? Are you insane? And then you trade him because he got in trouble with something domestic. You give him away to the New York Yankees. And he still threw, he threw 103 the other day. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's so aggravating that the organization from top to bottom has let this thing slip through their fingers. It's not, it's not just the draft. It's not just the trades. It's not where you allocate your funds. How in the world could you give Joey Votto that kind of contract when you could have invested that into pitching and had a team that was competitive? Look at the Cardinals. The Cardinals are, are, are having a, a, a tough year this year, although they moved into second place, and it wouldn't surprise me that they're going to catch the Cubs this year. They're only eight back. The Cardinals never have a year like this. Why do the Reds? Well, because Walt Jockety is the president of baseball operations for the Reds, and the St. Louis Cardinals had the forethought thinking uh, ten years ago to get rid of Walt Jockety because, if you remember, Mark, the Cardinals were almost in the same situation that the Reds were under Jockety right now, and Jockety's got the Reds in about the same situation. Well, I don't. I, I keep I keep coming back to Walt Jockety. I know. People don't like to hear that, but I keep going back to Walt Jockety. He keeps doing this with teams that he's involved in, and the Cardinals were smart enough to get rid of him. Well, I think you're right. There's no reason to apologize for it. I mean, the Reds simply have allowed this organization with the talent they had to disintegrate. And, you know, having one bad year, okay, injuries happened to everybody. That was last year uh, or two years ago. And then again last year. Now it's this year. Uh, it's, it's, it's a trend that takes several years to occur. A trend that begins with bad decisions over a long period of time. And now it's coming back to, to roost. And again, I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm pretty optimistic. I don't, I don't know why, you know, people have any reason for hope. But if somebody out there has a great idea, I'd like to hear it. I've got an idea. Go ahead. The St. Louis Cardinals are in third place, actually second place, but they're in third place by percentage points going into tonight's game. The Cubs in the Central are leading it by eight games over Pittsburgh, also eight games over the Cardinals, but the Cardinals are two percentage points behind Pittsburgh because they've got uh, one less game. Mark, the Cardinals and the, the Indians just beat the Reds 15-6. to so the Indians take the first game of this four-game set. Two games, they'll play one more in Cleveland tomorrow night, and then they go down to Cincinnati, and they play two more on Wednesday and Thursday. Mark, the Cardinals defensively at the shortstop position are terrible. They're abysmal this year. I heard yesterday that their fielding percentage this season alone at the shortstop position is .906. 
That is the worst of all 32 Major League Baseball clubs. All of them. They've got the worst defense at shortstop. Mark, if you offered up Zach Cozart to the Cardinals right now, what do you think that you could bring back in return? They don't want to get much farther than eight games behind the Cubs. And defense right now is what they've got to hang their hat on. And Cozart would be a good addition to that club. Well, that's not a bad idea because Cozart does become a free agent, I think, after this year. And they probably don't want to re- you know, re-sign him. They're going to have Peraza playing shortstop next year, I, I would guess. So there's a lot of things the Reds can do. But I, I think there are... There are four, and you bring up Cozart, maybe five players that the Reds can deal. One of them is Zach Cozart. One of them is Brandon Phillips, who's having a good year. One of them is Joy Votto, if they eat some of the contract. Jay Bruce is actually having a pretty good year right now. And uh, and, and Homer Bant. I mean, those are guys that you could actually uh, get some value for if they stay healthy, and I, I think the big deal will be Homer Bailey. I think if he's healthy, and I think that's why the Reds are holding back on bringing him up, uh, they, they want to make sure he's 100%, because if if by mid-July he's pitching well, uh, the Reds could get a, a, a big amount of return for Homer Bailey, even with that contract. He's got, I think they owe him $80 million, something like that. <clears throat> but in today's world, I mean, Strasburg just signed for $175 million. And Homer Bailey's won more games than Strasburg, has two no-hitters, has a lower ERA. So what, what is he worth? Somebody could sign him, <clears throat> pick up the $80 million contract, and give the Reds something good in return. Well, I, I, yeah, you've, you've got a good idea there. But I think the Reds do have some tangible assets that they can get rid of. I mean, before... The torn labrum. I just couldn't understand why the Reds were continuing to catch Devin Mesoraco. Mark, after last year with the hip injury, you and I discussed that, and I said right at the time, there's no way I would go into this season with Devin Mesoraco catching. Not a chance. Now, the labrum may not have had anything to do with his catching, but Mark, it's the constant wear and tear. Some guys can handle it. Some guys can't. And it has become fairly obvious over the last two years, Devin Mesoraco is not a guy that you could put behind the plate to suffer the constant wear and tear. I think he's a guy that you've got to look into get rid of. I think another guy that you've brought up a good point is Joey Votto. I think the Boston Red Sox would probably be in love with picking up Joey Votto once David Ortiz is out of their mix, which supposedly is going to happen at the end of this year, but the way Ortiz is playing, you never know. He may decide to come back for another year. But I just think that right now, the Cardinals, they could, they could, the Reds could go to St. Louis and ask for a King's Ransom for Cozart. And I think they could probably get a lot of what they want. And the Cardinals always have a good minor league system. Yeah, I think that's that's a good trade, and I, I think he would stabilize that. Mark, your 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 internet connection at your house tonight again is going to sign him to a long term contract. Mark, you got to start over. We, well, we I'm sorry for about ten seconds there. Okay, <clears throat> can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. The my point was that Zach Cozart, I think, would be a great pickup for St. Louis. Uh, whether or not the Cardinals would make that move, I don't know what they have in their minor league system at, in the infield. But typically, the Cardinals are are, are the kind of all right, Mark. We're having we're having some severe difficulties uh, with your They're always strong up the middle tonight. Okay. Well, David, if you can hear me, I'm going to bail yeah. out then, and I'll try and. All right. Yeah, we're going to take a break here from from Mark being, and, and maybe we can call back in. I know every every week we try to do this on on Skype. Every week we have to update our Skype connection in order to do this. And I, I know Mark's got a little bit of an Internet connection problem. But, you know, when I look at the Reds, I think one of the most uh, unnerving things, or, or it wouldn't take many brains to just pick up the phone and call the St. Louis Cardinals and see what you could get for Zach Cozart. Peraza is a guy that the Reds can move into the shortstop position. 
and not miss a beat as far as Cozart is concerned. And they may be able to bring back some very, very good prospects from the Cardinals if they're able to do that as far as trading Cozart to the Cardinals. And now we've got Mark back on the air. And Mark, I was just saying that, you know, I, I think it doesn't take many brains to just pick up the phone and call the Cardinals. I think right now the Cardinals would be in a desperate situation to try to pick up a shortstop. Now that Peralta is probably out for the year, he's not that good a defensive shortstop anyway. And then you could shore up, the Cardinals would be able to shore up their outfield, Mark, because they could move Peralta if he does come back to the outfield and keep Cozart at shortstop because he's definitely a better shortstop than Johnny Peralta. Well, that's not a high bar to, to match. Uh, Peralta not very, not right. his, his defense. But you're right. But you, you have to give these guys, I'm talking about the organizations, some kind of credit. I'm sure they're talking. They talk all the time. They have to, to know who's available, who can help them. And, and again, the Cardinals are the kind of team, they, they will not hesitate to pull the trigger on a deal. They're used to winning. And uh, you can be assured that if, if they think they can make their team better, they will do so. And I'll tell you what, you've got the Cardinals really with their back to the wall because like we said last week, of the top 25 prospects that are right now in baseball in the minor leagues, the Pittsburgh Pirates have three of the top 25. The Pirates are the team that the Cardinals are beating their heads against right now to stay in pace with the Chicago Cubs. The Cardinals are not going to hesitate to do something because they know the Pirates have got the talent to go out and get what they need come the trade deadline. Yeah, the only difficult part about the Cozart Cardinal thing is that they're in the same division. And you, you know, yeah, but at this point in time, Mark, does that really make a difference? Because by the time that the Reds are any good, the, the Cozart is going to be an afterthought. Yeah, but it's not Cozart. It may be a, a player that the Cardinals give up. And you're right. The Reds, in my opinion, aren't going to compete for the next three or four years. I hope I'm dead wrong, but I don't see it. And if that's the case, uh, you're right. I think they ought to pull the trigger. But the, the, the question is, will the Reds do that? I think they, they've got to do something. You know, the same thing with the Cleveland Indians. I think the Cleveland Indians really have to do something about this outfield problem. Mark, they've got an outfield problem. Michael Brantley's back on the 15-day DL. This team is a different team without Michael Brantley in the lineup. They've got nobody in center field that can chase down the baseball. Now, okay, maybe you could say Rajay Davis can chase down the baseball, but the question is when he gets there, can he catch it? And that's a big question right now. You know, I told you this Mark, at the beginning of the year, and you laughed at me. I still think Jay Bruce fits into Cleveland. He's hitting, no. he's hitting 265. Uh, I think he has 24, 25 RBIs. He's hitting the ball. He's playing great defense. He's, he's, you know, he's only 29. You think I, I would take Jay Bruce, but I'm not going to give up any of my starting pitchers to take him. Well, who are you going to give up? I that that's a big question. Well, you need an outfielder. I mean, You're saying I, I'm not I'm not going to give up any of my prime pitching. I'll give you Cody Anderson right now, even up for him. I'll tell you a trade that I would have made, and I told Greg Mitchell, our producer, this earlier this year. I would have traded Trevor Bauer for Devin Mezzarocco, even up. Well, that's before he got hurt. That was before he got hurt, yes. I'd have a real tough time taking that trade because I could have taken Mezzarocco and put him at first base or at DH. I could have done that. I might even consider making that trade at the end of the year. I'd have a real tough time right now with Carrasco out trading Trevor Bauer for anybody because right now we've got four good starting pitchers. Cody Anderson is going to be out of the rotation once Carrasco comes back, which Carrasco will be back in probably about another month. Now, will the Indians still be in the race? Who knows? Right now, they're five games out of first place behind the Chicago White Sox, even though they just won tonight, so they're 18 and 17. They finished two and four on the week. Mark, they're beating teams that they should beat, and then the teams that they really should hammer, the Minnesota Twins, for example, they go in and they lose two out of three at home and make Danny Valencia look like the second coming of Roberto Clemente. This guy hit three home runs against the Indians yesterday. Yeah, I saw that they lost two out of three to, to Minnesota. And Minnesota, after Atlanta, I think is maybe, you know, Atlanta, Cincinnati, and Minnesota are probably the three worst teams in baseball. Yeah, Minnesota is really, I am so surprised at the downturn that the Minnesota Twins have made. It, it is really 
hard to believe just how bad it is. But like I said, this organization for Cleveland and for the Reds, they've really got to do something about their ball clubs. Now, the Reds, I can understand why maybe they would stand, stand pat a little while longer just to kind of get an idea as to what it is that they could do. You know, Brandon Phillips is going to be a tough guy to trademark. He's got that 10-5. and five. He can veto any deal. He's already vetoed a deal to the Nationals, as we saw during the winter. And to trade him during the season, unless he gets some moolah or he gets sent to the right situation, it's going to be awfully tough to get rid of Brandon Phillips. Unless Brandon Phillips decides he's had enough, and that might be the case. Uh, he's having a good year, and he still is a great defensive player. Uh, he can help somebody if they if they can convince him that Brandon, you're you're going to be better off going on, moving on to a team that contend. That that might push him over the edge. That this team is going to lose 110 games this year. That certainly would push a lot of players over the edge. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens as it goes along. Mark, I want to bring up something that I heard on ESPN this weekend. I found it incredulous. David Ortiz is in his last year. Hit a home run on Saturday, a walk-off home run. ESPN actually made the comment, Mark, that David Ortiz may be the best Red Sox ever. Well, <laughs> I mean, you could look at the numbers and say that's not true. You know, Ted Williams was the greatest ever, in my opinion, the greatest hitter ever. What Ted Williams did not do, he did not win a World Series. But that that's different than who's the greatest player. Uh, if Ted Williams had more support back when he played, the Red Sox could have and should have won at least three or four World Series. He didn't. But, I mean, Ted Williams clearly, in my opinion, uh, is much better than Big Poppy. I like Big Poppy, but uh, Ted, to me, was was much better. And I can see, you know, I can see the argument that maybe he's a second or third best player. I, I don't know if you're including pitchers in that or. Uh, I'm inclu- I, I, I would include everybody. I would have a very tough time saying that he's even the third best player in Red Sox history. I don't think he's better than Carl Yastrzemski. And Mark, I've got a tough time saying that he may be even better than Jim Rice and Pedro Martinez. Yeah, going over the the list of Red Sox players, I mean, Rico Petroselli and, and some of these other guys that they had that were really, really good players. Bobby Doerr. I mean, Bobby Doerr was a Hall of Famer. I mean, he's a, he's a great player. Poppy, I think, will be, I think he'll be a Hall of Famer. But, uh, if, if Boston had not won those two world championships, I don't think people would be talking like that. Uh, I think he's a great player. He's certainly in the top ten, but I, yeah, it's a real stretch to say anybody's better than Ted Williams. Do you think he'll end up Coming back next year, think he'll have a change of heart. Well, yeah, I think he could with the kind of year he's having. Now, the argument would be that's the kind of year to go out on. But I, I've played with a lot of former major leaguers, and uh, they always lament to me. You know, we're sitting on the dugout playing old man baseball out in Arizona or something, and they all say, "Damn, I wish I'd have played another year or two. It, it, I, I never heard one of them tell me uh, that they should have left sooner. <laughs> you know, they, because you know you're out of the game and you're out of the game. You're a nobody, and you know being able to to walk on that major league field and play again. I, every guy I've played with, when they talk about their careers, they they always say, "Damn, I wish I'd have played another year or two." I didn't know how much I loved it. What's the thing that they say they miss the most? The guys, being with the guys. And, you know, the the plane rides and the card games. And they hate the press. They they enjoy each other. They even enjoy the teammates. They hate the travel, but at the same time, it's part of the fun. It's part of the camaraderie that you have. And what's interesting is when you've played in the big leagues, we want to – a world championship several years ago, and I'll think of his name in a minute. He played for the Cubs. 
uh, a catcher for the Cubs, and he had never won a championship in, in high school, in college, in the major leagues, in the minor leagues, and he had never won it. And he got up and made a speech in front of us, a bunch of old guys playing baseball. Now, we all played college ball or minor league ball, or, or as I said, some major league players. And he made a comment that this meant more to him than anything he had ever done. He was playing baseball again, and he had won a championship. And it, it was very touching and moving. And the, the guys that um, have played baseball at whatever level, you, you continue to want to play the game. The, the game is what it's all about. It's when you start, when you're eight years old, playing with your buddies at the local Little League field. That, you know, not in a league. I mean, just going out and playing three-on-three baseball. That's the fun part. It's playing baseball. <clears throat> and that's what those guys say they miss. Now, clearly, there's more pressure and tension and all that stuff at major league at the major league level. But, again, I never heard one guy say, uh, I played. I played two years too long. Mark, you know, I, I, I've talked about the status of Cleveland radio and especially sports talk radio several times. And for those of you who don't know about what sports talk radio really does, a lot of times they'll bring up a subject that's just to touch a nerve on someone to get people to call in. Other times, you've got idiots that are behind the mic, and some people may think that I'm an idiot. Maybe even you, Mark. Every once in a while, I, I have to wonder about some of the ideas that you come up with. Not that, <laughs> not that this relief pitching idea is one that I'm dead set against. I've just got to get my, my head wrapped around it. But last week, the Indians played a 15-inning game against the Houston Astros on getaway day. It was a week ago Wednesday. And they ended up losing the game. Cody Anderson was the losing pitcher, by the way. He gave up a two-run homer in the bottom of the 15th, and the Indians lost the game 5-3. to three. The next morning, I'm listening to CBS Radio, and I'm listening to a couple of guys, Ken Carmen and Anthony Lima. And I, I thought that Anthony Lima had come up with a lot of stupid ideas before, but this one was the stupidest. He says that baseball going 15 innings is tantamount to torture for fans who are watching the game. He's got better things to do, like go out and mow the yard or pull weeds. And he says that baseball needs to do away with extra innings, much like what the NHL has done with the overtime periods and going to a shootout. And he thinks what the baseball should do is get away from maybe play one extra inning, the tenth inning, and then after that you go to a home run derby to decide who's going to win the ball game. Mark, I thought I had heard so many stupid ideas in my life coming out of Cleveland radio show hosts, but that one had to be tantamount to most of the most idiotic and crazy ideas I have ever heard. And my comment to Mr. Lima is, which I know he isn't going to care what I say, but my comment to him is, if you don't like baseball, don't watch it. Walk away from it. You don't have to stand there and watch the TV for 15 innings and then go on your radio show the next morning and complain about it. Go mow your yard. Go pull your weeds. Go walk the dog. Do whatever you have to. Clean up poop along the side of the road for the dogs have let there if you want to do something. Go find something other to do than find a way to ruin the game of baseball. And, Mark, in this day and age of people who have to be gratified by something now, baseball is not the sport for them. And that's the problem with a lot of what's going on today. It's our 15-second time frame that we have to be satisfied by something, and then we have to move on to something else. Well, <laughs> I think the most exciting part of baseball sometimes is the extra-inning game, the tension that you can cut with a knife in some cases, especially near the end in September where it's a big game and your team can't get that run across. You know, it, it's exciting and nerve-wracking and you want to cut your throat because your team can't score. All those things uh, enter into it. And so, I, you know, I think that's a stupid idea. I agree with you. I, you know, the extra inning is, is part of baseball history. You know, I, I'm looking at a book that uh, a friend of mine gave me for Christmas. It's called Baseball Wit and Wisdom. And, you know, baseball is built on 
tradition and history and all that stuff, which I am wholeheartedly for. And this quote, just I happen to be turning to it, it says, The strongest thing baseball has going for it today is its yesterdays. And that was said by Lawrence Ritter, I don't know who he is, The Glory of Our Times in 1966. And how many sports go back to 1869? And Not, it, hardly any. Hardly any. And that's why baseball, by changing the rules, and can you imagine that they're, they're now saying that somebody besides uh, Abner Doubleday or Alexander Cartwright invented baseball, but whoever did it, they figured out that 90 feet between the bases was exactly the amount of time you needed to run to first base. And if you hit a ground ball to shortstop and the shortstop fields it cleanly and throws in one motion, you will be out every time. Every time. I don't care how fast you are. You hit a one hopper to the shortstop, you're out. Now, how did they figure that out? And it's no never, idea. It never changed in, in since 1869. And it's been 60 feet, 6 inches, home plate. Players have gotten bigger and stronger and faster and steroids and all this stuff. But it's still, it's perfect. It's the perfect game. The, the most inane thing I hear out of Cleveland radio show hosts, and it's totally different, just five and a half hours away. Just three and a half hours away in Pittsburgh, it's different. Just two and a half hours to Detroit, it's different. Five and a half hours down to Cincinnati. Different from Cleveland. I hear that baseball is a dying sport in Cleveland. Now, this is the same city, Mark, that sold out the stadium 455 consecutive games. The Reds have never done that. The Tigers have never done that. The Pirates have never done that. The only team to do that better than the fans of Cleveland have been the fans in Boston. That's it. Nobody else, Mark, has done that. But yet in Cleveland, baseball is a dying sport. Football is number one. Basketball is a distant second to football. And baseball is a distant third to basketball. And Mark, I I sometimes wish that I lived in the city of Cincinnati because I think you guys down there really have it made as far as radio talk show hosts are concerned. They talk about the Reds in season. They talk about the Reds out of season. They talk about the Bengals not not when the Reds are going on. I mean, for crying out loud, Mark, and I'm I'm straying off of baseball here just for a second, but tomorrow night the Cavaliers start game one of the Eastern Conference semifinals. What are we talking about this morning? Other than the Indians losing two out of three to Minnesota, we couldn't even talk about that. We couldn't even talk about the fact that the, the Cavaliers are opening up against Toronto tomorrow night in the Eastern Conference Finals. No, we're talking about the off-season training camps that the Browns are holding. And who's going to be the quarterback? Mark, it's May. It's May 16th. I could care less who the Browns quarterback is going to be in the month of September when I'm here in the middle of May and we're a month and a half into the baseball season and the basketball season is going on. But that's the feeling that you get from the radio announcers in Cleveland. They think football is the god of everything and they won't talk about anything else, Mark, other than football. And that's where I think people in Cincinnati have it made because you've got two sports show hosts that I know of for sure, and McAllister and Egger, both guests on our show. We've had them both on our show, and we're going to try to have them on again this summer. And I'll tell them the same thing. I think the people in Cincinnati are blessed as far as the radio situation is down there. I agree with you. And growing up in this area and hearing uh, and, and reading, you know, the Dayton area has been blessed with some really good writers, Siberic and uh, yes. Hal McCoy and other guys who have really written very well, and so has the Cincinnati Inquirer. <clears throat> they've always had good writers, and they've they've certainly featured the Reds. But because the Reds, for a short time, they had a professional basketball team, the Royals, but that the didn't Royals. last long. Yeah, I mean, to the Reds. I 
I agree with you. This this is something that I think I think Cincinnati fans should be thrilled with the status oh, of their radio situation down there, Mark. It's what? I think they should be thrilled with the status of their radio situation down there. Yeah, I, I think everybody is. I mean, WLW, uh, you know, the Reds games are, are broadcast on WLW, but I, I think they give the Reds a fair shot, and uh, I don't think they beat them up. Uh, in fact, I wish they'd be a little tougher on them. But, you know, that's the way it is in Cincinnati. I mean, people don't go crazy when the team loses. They seem to accept it. And uh, guys like me hate to accept it. But uh, that's the way it is in Cincinnati. And the way it is in Cleveland, it's football 24-7. And that's what drives me crazy. Mark, do you know what happened 35 years ago Saturday? Yesterday, I'm sorry, yesterday, Sunday. Uh, 35 years ago would be what? 1981? 1981. 35 years ago, 1981 on May 15th. Can you give me Len a hint? Barker's perfect game. Yeah, like that. Like that would really stand out in my life. <laughs> Do you know how many pitches he threw in that game, Mark? Probably about 140. 87. No kidding. 87 pitches. Yes, that he threw in that perfect game against the Toronto Blue Jays, a three to nothing victory. Rick Manning caught the final out, and Joe Charbonneau who I'm friends with on Facebook, by the way, um, was in left field for that game. He was a rookie. That was the year he was rookie of the year. And he had Len Barker uh, to a party on Saturday night commemorating that 35th anniversary of his perfect game. Wow. Just an amazing feat. I just sometimes wonder how that guy wasn't any better pitcher than he was. How many strikeouts did he have that game? Yeah, I don't remember. That I can't tell you. I don't recall. I know there were about 5,000 people there at the old municipal stadium. And if you ask people nowadays, there was 500,000 there. <laughs> the game just happened to be televised on Channel 43 that night. That was, it was a Friday night. It was just, just happened to be televised and Barker went for the perfect game. Un- unbelievable outing. Mark, here's another unbelievable outing. I want to get back into high school just for a quick second. Lakewood St. Edwards High School up in Cleveland is a high school that is most notably known for its football team and its wrestling program. They've won several national wrestling championships up there at Lakewood St. Ed. Well, Jarrett Edwards has put them on the map on baseball, and I'm not sure if you heard about this. He tossed a perfect game on Thursday in the sectional finals. It was a five-inning game because they won ten to nothing. But Mark, what was unusual about this perfect game? Of the fifteen batters that he faced, he struck out all fifteen. All fifteen. Eleven of them went down swinging. Why was it only a five-inning game? Ten to nothing. Ten-run rule. In high school, you have a ten-run rule after five innings. Sure. And oh, okay. They were up that explains it. Ten to nothing. Okay. Yes, Edwards will be attending George Washington University next fall. But yeah, eleven of them went down swinging of the fifteen, and the, the the opposing coach. I'm not sure who it was. I don't I don't have that written down here. But the opposing coach said if it would have went seventy, probably would have struck out everybody anyway. <laughs> he he had that kind of of great stuff. Mark, let's get back into, well, in our last seven or eight minutes here of the show, we haven't even touched the subject of the brawl yesterday. Wow, that was a great right hook that guy threw. The right cross. Jose Bautista and Mr. Odor. Yeah, did you you think Odor was throwing at him on the slide? Yes, I did. I I did, too. And you know what? That's old-time baseball. I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was a great move. You know, how many times have you seen an old-time second baseman or shortstop come down low to get that runner down? They used to do that 10, 20 years ago all the time. Yeah, I wonder if there's any history there with Bautista sliding late or knocking infielders into left field because that's the way you, you, you cure that. You know, you you low bridge them. That's what they're calling it. 
Absolutely. And, and the thing, the thing about it is, Mark, and this is what got me, is that when they hit Bautista, the umpire immediately, you know, dead ball, all right, warned both benches. So there couldn't be any retaliation from the Blue Jays. And that's what caused the entire thing. I think if they'd have just let everything go and given Toronto the opportunity to retaliate on the next inning and throw at somebody, then maybe warn them. I don't even like this warning stuff that the umpires give out anyway. To me, that's soccer mom stuff. You know, just let the ball clubs figure it out. I think that warning caused this play at second base. Yeah, it, it may be the case. And the only the only bad thing about that kind of approach and attitude is a baseball will someday kill somebody. And because a guy comes up and in, and it has killed people in the major leagues already. It's killed people in, in high school and college several times. Pitch balls have killed a number of players. And I, I just think that that's too great a pri- price to pay for tradition or letting the boys figure it out. Well... You know, I I I don't necessarily like the head hunting. I I don't really care for that. But I'll tell you what: the way the protection is nowadays, uh, and and the way that these guys go up to home plate, and I, I would I'll tell you what: I'll give you a trade off. I'll let you go ahead and warn everybody as long as these guys aren't allowed to wear body armor heading up to the plate. Well, they wear body armor because they don't want to die, or they don't want their careers to end. <laughs> Well, with a with a you know the elbow guard, uh, I can understand uh, Freddie Freeman or uh, uh, I'm sorry the the left the right fielder for the Cubs, and I can't think of Jason Hayward wearing the face mask. I understand that he's been hit in the face. Okay, I get that, but these guys are going up there with every pad in the world that they can come up with to take to home plate. Well, you and I disagree on this. I mean, I've played enough baseball, and I've seen some guys get hurt, uh, badly hurt, when a pitcher comes up and in. I, I saw a guy I played ball with, his jaw broken. Uh, it, it damn near killed him. And, I mean, his jaw was dislocated, broken, and teeth knocked out, and it ruined his face and all that because of a baseball game. And the guy was probably not throwing as hard as a major I know he wasn't throwing as hard as a major leaguer. So you, you can get badly hurt. And I think if your stuff is good enough, you don't need to do that. You can, if you have good control and you're throwing 100 miles an hour, you don't have to come up and in. And the guy's still not going to hit you. So I, I don't mind them hitting a guy in the leg, hitting him in the butt, hitting him in the back. But you come up and in to a guy, number one, you can break a hand, you can break an arm, uh, you can break a jaw, you can give a guy a concussion. All those things happen with some regularity every year in baseball. And when guys are throwing 100 miles an hour, a Rodgers Chapman, his fastball is a deadly weapon. And you can make an argument, he comes up and in and kills somebody, and he it's it's because his manager told him to brush somebody back, uh, I just don't buy that stuff. Mark, now that we're towards the, uh, after the first game tonight between the Reds and the Indians, of course the Indians winning it 15 to 6, that was their best offensive performance of the year. Thank heaven for the Reds pitching staff. That's all I can say for this first game. The Reds have got, and the Indians have got three more games. They've got one more left in Cleveland. Then they'll hop on a flight. And they'll head down to Cincinnati. They'll play two games down there on Wednesday and Thursday. Then what do the Reds have the weekend? Um, let me see. They, I think they go to Chicago, I think. I don't have a schedule in front of me. And, and Dave, you know, the, the problem with the Reds this year and my lack of interest in looking forward is I know what's going to happen no matter who they play. And that's the problem Reds fans have this year. There's there's nothing to look forward to, unlike you Indian fans who actually have a chance to win. And by the way, <clears throat> no matter who the Reds play next week or next month, the Indians have a good shot to win all four of these games. 
Well, I, I'm one that's hoping that they do. The Reds, they've got Seattle coming up this weekend. And for the Indians, they will be at Fenway Park taking on Boston in a three-game set. We'll talk to you again next Monday night, Mark. Thank you, David. Have a good one. All right, you too. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Don't forget, coming up tomorrow afternoon, more baseball action for you, high school baseball, as the Waynedale Golden Bears will be playing at 5 o'clock. We'll be on the air with the pregame show for you beginning at 4.45 tomorrow afternoon on Ultimate Sports Talk. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing tonight's show. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Thanks a lot for joining us tonight. Until next Friday night, have a good night, everybody. The Wiz Kids had won it, Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball.